Hello and welcome to another episode of the St. George's Rod and Staff, the official podcast of the Church of St. George the Martyr in Kales River, alongside the chapelries of St. Mark and St. Monica's. This is your continued exploration of faith during this time of crisis. And I am Lindsay Shooters, and I'm joined as always by the Archdeacon, Rodney Whiteman, the Rector of our parish. How are you doing, Father? Good afternoon, Lindsay. Well, through the grace of God, um, and um, always as always looking forward to preparing ourselves for the Sunday worship through this podcast and the little G for tomorrow. So all the family are doing okay. We are thankful to God for that. Mm. And I trust the same for you and your family. Yes, my family is doing well. Um, Father, the theme you have extracted from the collect is give us grace to recognize you as our God and serve you as your faithful people. And both readings, we're exploring the power dynamic this week, which I think is very interesting and very appropriate for what's happening kind of in our country um, right now. Uh, Was there any other motivation maybe that led you to extracting that line from the colic? It's basically looking at um, uh, at that line of the colic, but because it's the petition of the colic, we'll be asking God to to do something with us. Mm. But I think the the word recognize recognize you as our God. That was like, now why would we want to pray that? What is the motivation of the author of the prayer to put that in there? What what in the readings motivated him? to write it for us to pray it like that. And maybe that word, recognize you as our God, really refers back to the first part of the colleague, God of Sarah and Abram, the story of how God meets Abram Abram and and encounters Abram um, in the Genesis passage of tomorrow, Genesis 17, Mm. uh, and then has this covenant Mm. relationship with him, and Sarah is brought into into the frame as well. Um, and our God will will will, will bless. So, so Abram is is in, is God introduces him, himself to Abram, and um, how how then was Abram's Abram's response to what, what what God's introduction to him? And so that was really looking at what 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 is this? What is the author of this prayer challenging us to really reflect on? When he gives us, he says to us, let us pray that God gives us grace to recognize him as our God and to serve him as his faithful people. Okay. Um, so if you could just, yeah, call us together with the collective prayer and then I'll catch up with you after that. Dear people, when you hear this, it would have been Sunday morning. And so I greet you with these greeting words is always with you. Our collect for this week, which you will find on your pew leaflet if you have it, please pray it with me. But Lindsay's also put that on to the podcast. Remember, we are praying this prayer with the churches of the of the Southern African region. Let us pray. God of Sarah and Abraham, long ago you embraced your people in covenant and promised them your blessing. Give us grace to recognize you as our God and serve you as your faithful people. 
through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. Father, the first reading, or at least the reading, is the first reading would come from Genesis. Um, but obviously we're following uh, shortened versions of the liturgy to comply with all of the COVID protocols. So we are looking at Romans chapter 4, verses 13 to 25. And it, interesting, this morning there was a breakfast conversation about the origins of language. And I was telling my daughter that you can, if you unravel the origins of language, you unravel the, the history of the world. So like Anglo-Saxons and all those things. Um, so my father-in-law asked, so why do we reference Latin more than we do Greek? So I said, no, what, if you're looking at like biblical studies, there's a lot of Greek because the original text were written in Greek. Um, but the Romans conquered most of the then developed world. Um, so they spread Latin and um, it's, it's a very, it's a, Fascinating. I love I love studying like entomologies just because it unlocks so much of history. But this specifically, I want to call you to chapter to verse 14. If it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and promise is void. And in verse 15, for the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, neither is there violation. And then for this reason, it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his descendants, not only on the adherents of the law, but also to those who share the faith of Abram, for he is the father of all of us. So there's a big emphasis on the role that Abraham plays with the covenant. Um, can you unpack that idea for us, Father? Yes, certainly. Um, what we know from the 12th chapter of Genesis, we're beginning now to tap a little more into um, history's role mm. in terms of the people of God. And... Um, the first 11 chapters of Genesis, um, history is not the, the key thing that they are talking about there, um, but the understanding that possibly God created in a um, orderly, also with beauty and missed Abraham, and, and, and right through, in fact, I think we touched on this last week, but, the way that, that the Reformed churches looked at, and that includes the Anglicans, looked at the, 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 the way the Bible was a God who enters into a relationship with people, and the idea in that relationship is through covenant. And it's God who initiates this covenant. Uh, it's very interestingly that in Genesis 17, what you would find is what they call a covenant narrative based on the priestly tradition. Those are one of the groups that wrote in the Genesis passage. 
but there's also a Yahweh's tradition which also wrote in the Genesis passages and, and apparently in one of the chapters you could actually see that there is a parallel of another story of coming the way God relates to us is based on covenanting with us what is our response to this covenanting um, and here we see it's where faith comes into into the program where we begin to say that the response of hearing God, the response of obeying God uh, from Abram's side was to believe God. When God said the certain words to him, he responded by faith. And then that opened up the operation for God to then, I mean, one of the things that happened to Abram is that you're going to call him by a new name. Mm. Of, 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 of many nations mm. with the emphasis on faith. And so so does does the uh, so those that and, and this is what I also want to do the, the magnitude of this is so huge I don't know whether I can be able to untap all of that but you know sometimes people make faith as if it sounds as if it's just God but Abraham is recognized as the ancestor of our of those who believed so those who believed and we look to them to try and understand relationship with God on a personal level, but uh, in connect, in connection, in community with others, um, and and the, the and so the so I I look at that, and when I when I hear the word ancestors, I don't even, I don't even think of Abraham. I think of my parents. I think of my grandparents, and uh, my aunties and uncles, and way back because I came to faith through them. Mm. They introduced me to Jesus. They introduced me to God. They believe it was important for me to de develop a faith relationship with God through a regular worship. And in that context of the church, I, I, I'd heard a call to respond mm. by faith to a vocation to the priesthood. So, so Abram definitely is seen as the one whose example um, of faith we, we have to follow. In fact, God, the God of the covenant, it would seem is looking for the faith response from his people. Um, when we go back to the Garden of Eden, for example, the story there, God asked uh, the um, the two to to not to eat of the tree that stood in the middle of the garden, mm. and gave why. So obedience to that law meant I had to believe God. You can't obey if you're not believing. Mm. So. So did they believe what God said? So then we see the snake coming and the snake says to her, read stories because he doesn't want you to like him. Mm. So there's a twist that he that, uh, that, that had put in there. So now it casts doubt on who, on what God had said and who God is. So they could break the law. The, the, the word that God said, set order in their relationship with him. But when that order was broken, Adam was hiding. People, writers uh, under the guidance of the Spirit, trying to teach us through that narrative. Why, if I truly opted not to choose God, would I not want to face God? What in me makes me not want to face God uh, when he calls up my name? I mean, the fact that he calls up a name indicates that there's a relationship. And so in this, in this Abram reading, there's that connection between 
God and Abram. God is very familiar with who Abram is. Abram still has to learn who God is. But learns as he listens, as he as God reveals through the voice and the word that he's calling Abram to 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 use as the as the um, as the 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 the, the the hanger onto which he must hang his faith and belief, he then is, um, he then sets a whole new, through him God sets a whole new thing going on for, for the world. Mm. Um, and, 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 and really mm. the issue of faith, um, and which we know can be seen in different ways. Faith, perhaps it's not just belief in God. It could be the way I choose to believe in God, the path I choose to, believe in uh, a tradition that I follow. But that doesn't necessarily speak from the heart thing. The covenant in, in, in engineers a heart response, a life response of faith to God. What, what, what Abram had in mind for his own life and family, God changed and it became a universal thing. And it mm. really just depended on Abram's willingness to believe in God as God was revealing himself to Abram and as God was calling him into to, into a covenant relationship with Abraham. We have, therefore, that wonderful example of our faith, um, lived, living faith that Abraham revealed. It didn't make him perfect. It just shows us the, 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 the beauty of a faith relationship with God based on covenant, based on the commitment God makes to us and the commitment we are called to make to God. Yeah, if you look like historically, especially um, in what the Torah is kind of teaching about Abraham, it's it's very striking that he was kind of the first to speak of like one God, and then like <laughs> just a a bit of trivia, he was ninety nine years old when. God commanded him to undergo circumcision and then do so with all of his the children in his or the male children in his household. Um, so so there's that too. But yeah, it was like he is yeah. kind of the genesis of like monotheism. Monotheism. Is, yeah. Uh, yeah, and then he's involved with the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, he had a squabble with his nephew Lot and yeah there's, he's, he's a fascinating character and I, I don't think like I, I know I said last week that it's not helpful to reference kind of like the Old Testament laws and that sort of thing but yeah to learn from the kind of history that everybody went through and the flaws that they had and how they overcame that because it was considered that Abraham had used up his divine um, promise and then he entered into a second covenant. So it's a covenant of two parts if you look at uh, how the, the Jewish faith describes the whole situation. So yeah, I, I, I really think we need to invest a lot more time in kind of interrogating the patriarchs in Christianity um, and then measuring them to what kind of Jesus represented. And we'll get into that when we talk about, when we speak about the gospel. But just, be, just before you go on quickly, um, 
when we look at this whole idea of the um, sense of who God is, God mm. introduces himself as translated, I am God, the Almighty, walk in my presence and be blameless. Mm. Between you and me, I will establish my covenant and I will multiply you exceedingly. What mm. gives us the idea in the himself to Abraham that God was monotheistic? When we read the words, I am God, the almighty. Walk in my presence and be blameless. And when we get to Jesus, we see something happening, emerging where the idea of God as community, one in three and three in one. Mm. Um, because if we are to, according to the theme, be given grace to recognize God as our God, how will we recognize God? And I was thinking about this in terms of how the Genesis passage senses and how did the Romans passage make us even see through that? Is God or is he community? Is he trying to recognize um, the nature of God? And when he said, I am, does the I am mean I'm singular? And that we read it as that. Or, or is the I am bigger than I am, whom I am going back, going to the Exodus experience now where, where um, Moses said, if I go to Pharaoh and tell him that this God of the desert spoke to me and said, set my people, you ask name. Would the name have been revealed, therefore, that God is monotheistic or that God is bigger than monotheism? <laughs> God is bigger than what we say he is anyway. Yeah. The nature of have said, I am. They have heard I am therefore as a singular God and not as a God that is a God in community. So so that is um, that was one of the challenges when I read that theme out there who are propagating that it's easier to understand God in monotheistic terms. Um, on the on the other many gods. Um, in the middle, you have the triune God, where we understand God in relationship with God's self, in the way that he reveals himself to the world. Yeah. So, so that is just part of my own thinking journey. And, and when Abram responds to, to God by faith, his idea, his understanding of every step of the way. Mm. It's interesting that you frame it that way. Um, especially when we're going into the the gospel, which is according to Mark chapter 8, verses 31 to 38. This is before the transfiguration. Um, so this is then he began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be dejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. He said all this quite openly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. 
But turning and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. Then he called the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. As this is why I identify as an agnostic. I am not comfortable with the idea of serving a divine purpose that I that cannot I cannot prove with my eyes and my senses. And forsake what I believe the needs of humanity would be. Um, I know this is meant to be him saying, or at least the idea here is that Peter's being selfish um, by trying to hold on to this Jesus figure and his understanding of what that Jesus is important while he's there. And not seeing like the full picture. So I get that. But yeah, I uh, this is a difficult passage for me. Um, and I first want to hear your take on it. And then we can get into a different discussion um, about the like subtext that's, that's involved here. I think the first response I want to make is that, that it's very difficult to talk about suffering mm. uh, when, when um, we have to go through it because we can't. Um, we can't understand the purpose of suffering when we believe. Let, let's go back to the Old Testament. I am the Almighty. Mm. How, how does suffering that we go through uh, uh, reveals God's self as Almighty? Now, is it because we interpret the word Almighty? As being therefore, he should not allow any suffering to come through. Or is it that in his almightiness, he takes us through for overcome? I find it difficult to understand the purpose of it. At the end of the day, we perhaps are not always um, going to understand it in this life per se. We can't always why it had to happen. The people we love and we know. So, so, so that. Was talking about his own suffering. Now, I think the the next response that I want to make to you is the, the words for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. Having been made in the image of God and being covenanted with God, how do we develop divine thinking and live our lives? Um, and when you are setting your mind on human things. So does humans sometimes believe, uh, sometimes think like Satan does? And so we have a problem here in that the way we as human things, in Isaiah that said, where God says through the prophets, your thoughts are not my thoughts. Mm. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. So our ability to think as, in, as deep as God's thoughts on if I understood the prophet, uh, the prophet talking in, in that vein. So we think of 
and undergoing great suffering and rejection, particularly by we have problems to accommodate suffering in our lives, even if we go through it. Mm. And I think we've 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 struggled with this for generations, even though I mean I still am trying to make to understand why was it the Boers the, 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 the first nation mm. and put us into slavery mm. and for over 300 years we had to live with that brand on us right up until even in day we're still mm. not free mm. we sometimes still think and behave like slaves mm. because the, the prison cells of the townships are still there. We look through those narrow windows in those small cell-like apartments that we that we were we were forced to live in. So our mentality hasn't raised beyond that. Yet in the very cell that Mr. Mandela sat, he became even more freer. Mm. And why does human thought cannot comprehend? And so going back to the to the to the theme, give us grace. For without your grace, without your extension of grace, he says, suffering, rejection, kill. Three things that are mm. totally negative in that text. Only once does he say, rise again. Mm. Now, what point would Peter then have stopped hearing? Mm. At what point did Peter and the disciples stop hearing? Because, I mean, I think that if, if we bring in painful stuff, some of us just stop there. We can't hear of the possibilities that come out of, of it for us. One of the things that is us, the very grace that assisted Sarah and Abraham mm. is available for us, and, and, and God is the one who, who, who then needs to help us open our eyes and open our ears and open our hearts so that we can recognize it. It's only when we are able to, by grace, as our God, Jesus in his earthly form, who God was, and the thoughts of God he knew. So that talking about great suffering and rejection and killing is really just um, the things that earth experiences that, that he would have to go through but come through because he knows there's a rising again. Hmm. He knows what the outcome is going to be, but you, you and I don't know that. That is why only when we are open to the grace to recognize him as our God and we avail ourselves to serve him, will we begin to see what we probably could not see, but this time with the eyes of faith mm. beyond what, what we can see. And, you know, um, somebody told a story one day um, I hope I got it right. His 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 shanty was was um, was was flooded. Bed was off, floating in the water. And um, the priest went to see him after that, and was still wet and so. But this was a sickle man in that coldness there. But on mm. on his wall there was a a a. a um, a, a picture with the words on the, on there, on Christ the solid rock I stand. Now the connection between the 
experience of suffering in what was on the wall about Christ made that man come through the difficulty. For me, that bore a beautiful and wonderful testimony. In preparing for the sermon, I was I was reading um, a story who was in World War One, mm-hmm. W. Camp, where he had and um, and this story is written in a book apparently. And he said in this in this um, in tell the prisoners of, of war and and some of them were Christians. He actually came to a, to a to unique faith in the Lord Jesus mm. because his job there was the worst job of anybody that had to come in. That came in last. You had to pick up all of the bandages that was used by the prisoners when they were injured and when they were what's Bags, wash mm. them out, and he had to carry the sick patients wherever they needed to be. But they found him after some kind of faith experience. They and somebody listening to them said to somebody, "Why would anybody doing that kind of work be whistling?" Mm. So he said, "So the recommend came back mm. that that must be a Christian because it's only a Christian." And I thought, I can't use this in our context because most of the congregation may not even remember there was a World War One. Yeah. But I thought it was a story to just touch base with. Mm. Um, how, does, how does going through all of that make you whistle? What changed you from coming in as an unbeliever to somebody who now believes and whistles? The whistling was to look at that situation with divine thinking. Mm. Um, you, you uh, right at the beginning of your thing, you, you touched on something that I wanted to discuss. So when Jesus says to Peter, get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on divine things, but on human things. There's a characterizing of human there that kind of equates it to Satan. So, like, the founding philosophy is that Jesus didn't conquer Satan or conquer evil. He conquered death. Um, So, in conquering Mm. death, did he, is the that he conquered Satan because putting your mind on human things is akin to being Satan. Did you guys discuss this at the theological college or <laughs> am I just going crazy here? How did you conquer Satan in the temptation story? Where Satan said, if you do the, if you are the son of God, the temptation mm. story, if you are the son of God, then you will do this and God will not let this happen to you because the scriptures tell you these things. So if before the crucifixion he could place doubt into who Jesus was, using the very scriptures Jesus knew, able to to move on further than that desert experience. 
but that didn't that didn't that didn't um, uh, stop ongoing um, challenge to him about who he was, his identity. A couple of verses earlier than this, we we hear how what was revealed to Peter uh, that you are the Son of the Living God. Um, again affirms who Jesus is and therefore what his purpose was. Interestingly, in the transfiguration story, God says to the disciples, listen to him. So, so everything that Jesus would speak and everything that Jesus would do um, and every way that Jesus is, if you listen to him, you would exactly be tuned and if you follow him, that is the way you'll develop a little bit more of an understanding of how God thinks about life and all that kind of thing. So I have no doubt that by the temptation, Satan knew he was beaten. But Satan has the tool of death in his hand. Hmm. If we, for example, look at the Job story, the whole family was wiped out. Um, and all because, and I find I find the story very difficult to believe. It's actually a historical story, but the fact that one of his one of his major themes is suffering, it's a very important and crucial story for us to read, as we as Christians believe. And I think a lot of this is based on, for me, Psalm twenty three. Though I go through the valley of the shadow of death, mm. what what happens there? all the of the disciples and the people his teaching was so necessary and that's why the confrontation that he includes that reality that's not going to stop him from doing what he has to do but the implications of all of this that doesn't end who he is three days ago to suffering rejection and being killed is that the human way of thinking because victory is not in the power to overcome is not in chapter chapter eight from verse 31 to 39. Paul talks there about knowing all these things we are more than conquerors. How did we become conquerors? Through him who loved us. Hmm. What will I discover in the valley of the I'll not fear because God is with me. You're on your stop of comfort. The symbolism of God's presence, God's guidance is there. Hmm. So it's teaching us to think of where God is for us and what God will be doing and how does God reveal himself to us and how do we recognize God by the grace he's given us so that we can continue with our serving of him. So, so the service through suffering, death, the resurrection, um, and killed the resurrection. And I, I find these words incredibly uh, powerful. He said we're dealing with the all the time. Don't tell, don't tell anybody right now that you've been... About his rejection, openly about uh, his suffering, and doing, we can then put our things. Human response to the, what is Jesus revealing of God when he talks of suffering, rejection, and being killed, and resurrection at the end of the day? What do we? How do we recognize God in suffering, rejection, and being killed? Uh, and and after all of this, Peter is rebuked. But then Jesus still turns to the crowd and he says, well, if you want to be my disciple now, having heard what I'm doing, 
the prophet Hosea, because this mm. word of adulterous relationship comes up very clearly in the Hosea, in the Hosea writings. Now, I, I must say, it, it would sound judgmental because I know a lot of so-called preachers go down this way, looking at the generation and just casting everyone into this bracket of adulterous and sinfulness. Mm. I, 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 in one sense, want to caution myself by just generalizing that everybody was like, but Jesus had no problems in saying this. The, wor the world he encountered, um, this is how he understood them, their behavior. Um, and again, adultery means what? Why did I leave God? For what did I leave God? Um, and, and what relationship have I entered into with, to with that? So, um, and where, does, where did it take my life? I thought I'd be happier with the other guy or the other woman. But have I really baffled myself here? Have I sold myself into a lie because that's what adultery would suggest for me mm. and i'm living the lie so i think we are going to be we are challenged are we living the truth of the words that jesus gives us as, as they reveal to us a, a way in which we recognize that god is our God in order to serve and everything is fine. He's forgiving, yes, but we still have to face the truth of our shame. He's merciful, yes, but we still have to account for our responses to the, what we've chosen in this life. Um, so that would be my way of looking at that. That doesn't make Jesus and that doesn't make God any more, any less, sorry, any less merciful. Mm. Because our we need to be held to, to account. You are held to account by your wife as I am. You hold mm. your children to account. Why? Because we want our marriage to be, we want our children to be in a family that is, that's living truth rather than lies that will bring chaos. Mm. Um, I will say though, I hold myself accountable for my children more often than I hold them accountable for their own actions uh, because they are but only at this stage mirrors that reflect everything that I am. <laughs> um, irritatingly no, so, I, because... <laughs> I totally agree, but there is some point, and, and, and look, that will never leave you. I often, mm. when my, in conversations with my mother, then she would say, Rodney, I'm sorry for being such a bad parent. <laughs> uh, that would be her response <laughs> to me. But at some point, we have to take responsibility. Yes. At some point, we, we have to say, yes, dad did teach me. I know that dad was also um, not uh, perfect, but he did teach me. And my reflection on what he taught me is now, and what I'm choosing to do is my own. Because we're teaching our children to take responsibility for their lives as well. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, mine are, are, mine are nine and yeah, four. <laughs> nine and five, five. sorry. 
But how many even... people have you? How many? He's probably going to get you after years. This podcast, Gary, I'm five, not four. <laughs> yeah. But how many people do you know? How many people do you know that are still blaming others for where they are? I I'm one of those people. I I have not forgiven all of those who have wronged me and i still see I'll, I'll put it this way i see the mercies that are granted to others as i have issue with some of it where it's like were i were i born in a different skin would things have gone the way that they did in my life. And I mean, that's a burden that most people of color carry, knowing or unknowingly. Yeah. Well, you know, I with a kind of experience there where I was confronted with, if my dad was like Desmond Tutu, mm. then I, if my dad drank a little less, uh, if my dad was more um, outspoken, mm. then what would my life have been like? And every time that thought crosses my mind, I go back and I say, if, it, if my dad were anything other than what he was in his becoming, mm. then I would not have been who I am today. So I may not have... Um, a, a, a huge bank balance because my father left me money um, and property and all that kind of thing. But what my dad did leave me, if I really pay attention to those things, they are of essential value. If I could just have adopted my dad's love for suits and jackets and mm. loves for, love for ties, I would probably have learned a whole lot more by him. I'm not a suit that I'm not a suit guy and I'm not a tie guy. Mm. But but that's when I look back and I say, why didn't I learn that from my daddy? If if I had really taken my daddy's uh, example seriously, I would have known how to make curry the way he did and everybody loved, and so also improved on that recipe. I mm. didn't learn that. I still haven't mm. learned it. Now now, we do look back and say, if only we were like that. And you have to go back and say, and I had to do that after a conference. I had to go back and say to my dad and my mommy, I am sorry for the way I treated you because I thought if you had been like because I would not be where I am and if it were not for them. The struggle was real, and I value the struggle that made us. I keep asking, <laughs> just, just to give you a few instance. When I worked in Fishup, there was a guy who often invited us for, for meals. And um, I said, he's a single guy. And, and we were having conversations. So I said to him, you know, my dad and my mama both state pensioners. Mm. They couldn't afford money mm. to put away for the pension and the very little pension coming from what they work offered them. But my parents never asked me for a blue cent in their retirement years. Mm. They've never asked my brother or my sister. They lived in their own fully paid house, 
never asked us for electricity money, never asked us for water money, never asked us for bread money. When we had a meal by them, the meat that they would buy is only the best from Woolworths. Mm. And when I said this to him, he said, Hi, how could they afford that? They're only on state pension because my, my bill, uh, I pay a thousand rand a, 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 a week for, for, my, for my football. Mm. So I look back and I say, how did they manage that? What did they do that kept me going to school, kept my sister and my brother going to school, all with the equal opportunities? Mm. So if it weren't for them and who they are, I would not be who I am today. Mm. And that was a bliss. The, con the conference itself helped me deal with that reality. Now that's the that's sadly the thing that's missing with a lot of people in our community is uh, you you said it earlier where they're still stuck in the in the prisons of the the townships and the group areas act and all of the destruction of communities that that caused um, it knocked the confidence away so I was I was doing some work for a a NGO called Career Box out in KZN and they do youth employment. Um, so companies will allot a certain number of positions or vacancies and then they will um, get candidates to fill those vacancies. Um, it's called, what's it? Impact sourcing. Um, and they said the biggest, like the training, because they do like a, a two weeks or three weeks to readiness kind of program. And um, once the candidates come in and they said the biggest thing they found that they have to work on in their training is not equipping people with skills. It's just building up confidence because these are long term unemployed people. These are kids coming from, I mean, their target age group is 19 to 35. So it's people coming from underserved, underprivileged neighborhoods. And it's to get them to a place where they can interact in the workplace as an equal, as a human, as just another person, and not with all the baggage of poverty and how many taxis they had to take to get there. And so it's just like to have the confidence to get there and do the job is like half of the problem. That is why that, that process of poverty mm. and inequity and be told that they could not, could not reach anywhere near anything because their parents and their grandparents were told that. Mm. And they were, they were when, when Jesus says, this is the truth about me, I will die, but Again, if you believe that truth, you will not be ashamed of me and my words, and you'll be able to deal with what's going on. Mm. But people are ashamed of who they are. How many of those people who have been in those processes cannot even move out because they are so locked into their, sh sh their shame that they can't make themselves available even to be helped through processes like that? You only get a real small kernel of, ch of children will respond to that. Mm. One hopes that 
it will be embraced by a I mean, I think, for example, the colored community suffers from that. Mm. You know, and then the easiest thing to do is to blame. I mean, yeah. I'm ashamed, I blame. Mm. So this is a very crucial uh, context because, but death must come to to deal with what made me suffer and what what made what made them reject me. Mm. And in the rising again, I'm free from those things. I don't need to be ashamed because of what Jesus did to me and what His words did to me. But if I'm ashamed of those things, that's how I will live like Adam. I will hide myself from God. Mm. So, Father, um, if you could extract other points of reflection for the week in the prayers of the church. My sisters and brothers calling like he did Abraham to walk before him and be blameless. We thank God that by his grace daily poured out for us, he causes us to be fruitful with our lives to his glory. And then in our intercessions, we ask that God, the God of our salvation, will give God's church faith and courage to follow him wherever he leads. And that we will be poured out as a libation to his service. That God would raise up leaders in our wider world who will dedicate themselves to the common good. And that he's just will flow strengthened by the bonds that create a cohesive and peaceful society as we pray for centers of human life we think of schools shopping centers and places of work communities particularly communities who live with the past in the structures of houses that we live in still imprisoned in them in the structure of our party particularly we pray for Jesus, who is Savior of the world, as we look to him in our hour of need, especially as we face the scenes of being made. So we ask God's blessings on all who are sick, or in a state of weakness. And we thank God for those who have recovered. God will continue to fill our hearts with, your, with his joy and gladness. And so we pray for all who died. We commend David during to God's merciful care. Pray for comfort for his wife, Auntie Joyce, Bertram, and his family. And Lord Jesus, when you come in your glory, draw us home to be with you. In the COVID prayer, even as Jesus faced rejection, we ask him to teach us to take up our cross in this season of COVID and to help us set our minds on divine things and follow his, him as disciples to the place of healing and wholeness, to fair distribution of vaccine and the common good of all people. We continue through liturgy and prayer to create awareness, advocacy and activism against gender-based violence. We thank God that all dominion belongs to him. Pray that God will ensure that the cry of all victimized by violence will be heard because God does not despise or bore the affliction of the afflicted. We praise you, Lord, for deliverance from the evil of continent people. We remember all people of the world and with all single parent families, 
this week we ask God to bless Africa, to guard our children, to guide our leaders and to give us peace for Jesus Christ's sake. Amen. And so as we conclude this podcast, we thank you for tuning in. I found it helpful um, in Lindsay's words, exploring faith in a time of crisis that as we journey as community, um, that you will also feed back into us um, things you found uh, unhelpful and that which you found helpful. So go now and live before God in openness and integrity. Set your minds on the ways of God, not clinging to your own life, but taking up your cross and following Jesus. And the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit will be amongst us and remain with us always.